so now I just uh, invite you, if you would, you can flip or tap your way on over uh, to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of an adventure here today in, in the scriptures. And, you know, some Sundays what we'll do is we will teach our way straight through a passage, kind of doing a, oh, you think this word means this? Oh, it actually means that kind of a move. But uh, today is going to have a little bit of a, of a different arc to it. And, and what I mean by that is uh, we are here in this uh, little series of teachings around the way of Jesus and emotional health. And as, as we're working our way th through this, we, we've begun to see, like even back in May when we did our first teaching on this, what we did is we simply looked at Jesus's life. As we looked at these scenes, these little vignettes and stories from Jesus's life, just to see that he is a person whose life was littered with big emotions like joy and compassion and distress. And we just, we essentially said, if Jesus has this, who is truly and fully human, if this is how he's living his life, then, then we can as well. And so the invitation really then follows this little line, which has kind of been in the backdrop of this whole teaching series, that, that we cannot be spiritually mature while also being emotionally immature. That our emotional maturity, or this little definition that we're working with is our capacity to notice, name, and attend to in love the things going on in and around us, that our emotional health, our emotional maturity acts like a ceiling for the other aspects of our life. And so as our awareness of what's going on in us, our ability to name that thing and attend to those things in love, then the other aspects of our life will increase in kind, God willing. And you see, I think what's beautiful about Jesus is that he not only shows us how our emotions are a God-given gift, like maybe for you, you've been trained to think not to trust your emotions, but maybe this has been a helpful turn for me is your emotions are intelligence in your body. It's essentially your body interpreting the reality around you and giving you information to parse. So maybe you're more like thinking oriented, let that sit with you and uh, chew on that for a while. And this is what Jesus does. He helps us to see that our emotions are a gift given us by God. And, and yet there's also this turn in there because I think he also reminds us of the cost. And there's this line from the book, The Cry of the Soul. And it says this, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. And maybe that sounds a bit squishy and um, if so, let, let me just invite you to this. I, I think that we all want to live in reality. Just me. Okay. I would like to live in reality and I would like to live in reality situated with the living God. And so I, if indeed there is a truth here that ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality, then I don't want to, to do that. I want to enter into that, even if it brings up some conflict. And so you might be, okay, so what is this gift? What is the, the reward? And this, uh, this question was uh, kind of brought up in our community group this past week. And uh, one of the members of our community group essentially asked, what's the point of this? Last week, if you recall, we were talking about grief. <laughs> and, um, you know, just a lovely day, uh, lovely Sunday, talking about grief and the gift that it can be to us. 
um, of just getting what's on the inside out with Jesus as our companion. But as, as we were discussing this and kind of working through it in our community, uh, it's just this question, what's the point? Like, why embrace this? Why, why go to the place of pain? And so why are we talking about emotional health? And so I just want to bring us back to where we were back in May and remind us that we're in the midst of this. We're pursuing emotional health because there is love on offer there. There's this idea that is kind of put forward in this book, which is in the backdrop of this little teaching series, Emotionally Healthy Church. It's this image of an iceberg. And if you can picture an iceberg in your mind's eye, you know, the idea there is that nine-tenths of the mass are beneath the surface. And so too it is with you and me. That the bulk of our lives are actually not above but beneath the surface. And so the embracing of emotions, the, the, the moving toward, the curiosity about them actually helps us to get beneath the surface. And what is found there, like the end goal of knowing that stuff is, is love. And that love continues to go deeper. And we're going to see that here. And um, to see what I mean, if you're not there already, Romans chapter 5. Uh, and as we make our way there, I just, I want to give a little direction to our time. And then we're going to get into the context of Romans 5. So for direction, this is simply what I want us to see. I want us to see that from the imagination of the Bible, that the descent into those unfamiliar places, maybe the places of pain or the places of woundedness, those beneath the surface layers of our life, it both leads us to love and to love. And if you were listening, you realize I just said the same prepositional phrase twice. The, the descent leads us to love and to love. This is not just verb, it's also noun. Not just action, but a reality to live in, to inhabit. See, the descent leads us to love, that is the place where we are loved by God in Christ, and to love, then to move from that place. And with that kind of in hand, and then with curiosity alongside, I just want us to examine one aspect of love. And uh, this aspect, I think, is something that's pretty rare. I think it's rare not just in myself, but it's rare among, I would dare say, our community. And it's the idea of, of listening. So that's the direction. Here's the context of Romans. And uh, when we pick up in Romans 5, uh, there's been some stuff happening. You know, Romans as a, as a New Testament letter is often touted as this thick theological treatise that only like the brave of heart sink their teeth in. And it's like you start reading and it's Jewish and Gentile relations. And Paul seems really angry because he kind of is in some parts. And then he says some really aggressive stuff and some really beautiful stuff. And indeed, it is a book that is we would do well to unpack it in community, in a place of trust. But at its core, Romans is a letter that is calling a community of Jesus followers back to unity, back together into the place of the love of Jesus, essentially the love of the Father displayed in Jesus. So Paul is calling these people who look different, who have different ethnicities, different preferences, different expectations, oughts and shoulds of a community. He's calling them and saying that there's something that can hold you together that is actually thicker than blood, and it's the love of Jesus. Essentially participating in Jesus' love and life, it is stronger than our differences. And this is what's working its way out 
And then we get to Romans 5, and, and Paul reminds this community, essentially there's four movements in Romans, and five is where it's the, the hinge of the second movement. And Paul reminds this community that, that because we are with Jesus, we have peace with God and we have access with God. Let me just ask you, did you know this morning that you had peace with God if you're in Christ? Yes. So this is the reality. Paul says this, and then he says, that's not all. Pick up with me in verse three. See, we delight in the hope of the glory of God, and that's not all. We also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's a present reality. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the us there are those who are with and in Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus is in and with them. He's saying, if you do some reverse engineering on this, you look, it's like the love of God is actually found at the bottom. And what you see there is that the love of God, it gives rise to hope and that that hope actually has an impact on who you are, your character. And that character is formed through the perseverance and the persevering of what? Through suffering. So it's actually the going down through the depths that leads us to love. And you see, we are in this pursuit of emotional health, this lifelong project, by the way. This isn't just like, hey, we're gonna do this little series in the summer and then boom, you're gonna come back and you're like, by the way, I'm emotionally mature. I'm emotionally healthy. Let us just get on with the rest of life. No, this is a lifelong project of going with God to those beneath the surface layers. And, um, you know, I've not lived very long, uh, but what I'm learning actively in this moment is like when I think I'm actually to a place, I feel like some breakthrough around some pain and God's bringing some healing there, that there's a whole slew of stuff. It's like it opens a vault. And what this is saying, what, what Paul is unlocking, he's saying we also glory in our sufferings because what that ends up reminding us is that love goes deeper still. And I just, I wanna linger here for a moment because this is actually the movement of love. Love doesn't accidentally land in the depths of the stuff of our life. Love is there building us up because this is the movement of love. And we see this clearly in Jesus. Uh, if you have your physical Bibles, turn to the right a little bit until you get to Philippians chapter two. Otherwise, just tap your way there. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're in your physical Bible, and when you get past the gospels and the acts of the apostles, then it's Paul's letters. And what you get there is it's just the longest to the shortest. So um, that's it. there you go. There's a little uh, seminary now. Um, those are the things that you learn, the arrangement of the New Testament. So as you get your way there to Philippians 2, this is another letter where Paul is writing to this emerging Jesus community. And he is writing to this community to encourage them, to build them up in love. And then right in the midst of this, in chapter 2, Paul, he essentially like breaks out in song. It's like his life is a musical, is what I imagine. And so here, if you want, picture this, uh, not to like Les Mis, but maybe like Hamilton or something. So this is Paul breaking out in song. This is what he says in awe of Jesus. Christ Jesus, verse 6 who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the movement of love. Jesus' life that we just saw there, and it's what's called the Christ hymn, and that's only part of it. Jesus' life tells the story of descent. Equality with God. Community in the like co-eternal, co- like co-equal, co-eternal community of love. Jesus says, no, that's not to be used to my advantage. Instead, he makes himself nothing. And do you, do you notice here that um, there is no outside influence? Like, it's not like Jesus is like, okay, well, I guess this is what I got to do. So I'll just do it. And then, um, you know, I'll just go to the cross and die. And man, that's going to be a drag. But no, like Jesus chooses this. He willfully engages with it. And this is where we then start to see what the love of God on display of Jesus is. It's like it is the willful, the self-giving away of one's preferences for the good of another. Jesus is not forced into this. And, and just, I want, I want us to see this here because um, we may do servantly things, and we may even do servantly things in the name of Jesus, now, we may do servantly things because we want someone else to do servantly things to us. Um, that's the quid pro quo kind of a move. Um, but maybe we don't. Maybe we, like, give it away. We don't even let our, our right hand know what our left hand is doing kind of a thing. Those are things we learn. Jesus comes on the scene, and he has servantly instincts. It's just woven into his character. He comes, and he lays himself down. And this type of servantly instinct, it's just dripping in humility. So much so that in life and in death, Jesus can say, no one and no thing is beneath me. That is how love can be found in the depths to build us up because Jesus can say no one and no thing is beneath me. And I just, I was wondering, you know, what would it look like if this little community could say the same? No one and no thing is beneath me. And not that this is a problem for you, but I often um, do the opposite, is I elevate myself and I stand in judgment of others. And, uh, you know, it can be something from the smallest things of life the ch- to, the, like, to the big things of life. But we often make more of ourselves than we ought to, but instead Jesus gives us this picture of humility. And then what's the pinnacle of that passage in Philippians 2? Look there again. At the very end, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, this, this is actually the pinnacle of Jesus' life, which is so counterintuitive for us. Like the cross is the place in Jesus' time and place where that is, that is the locus point of shame and humiliation. And, and it's not only this. In, in the context of, of Jesus' life, there's this idea of a limited amount of good that is, if you increase, that means that another has to decrease. And altogether, what this means for Jesus and his followers is that the cross is shame and humiliation on anybody who identifies with Jesus. And yet Paul is highlighting this as the descent, because then right after that, what Paul is going to say is that because of this, he is given the name that is above every name. He is announced as Yahweh. He's declared to be 
caught up in that reality, like disclosed as the divine. The cross is the evidence of this love of God on display. See, Jesus dies outside the camp as an enemy of the state, despised by his own. This is the life of descent. And counterintuitively, this is actually the story of love. And so if we say emotional health and the pursuit of emotional maturity is to lead us to love, um, welcome, welcome to the descent. Um, I have learned that in, um, in following Jesus, that though the world around me may look like it is crumbling, I can stand in confidence because of the love of God that holds me up. And I, I don't know about you, but like I, I want the good stuff. Like I want the blessings. And I was in a meeting this past Thursday um, and the, the community that I was with this past Thursday, they, they would use this framework of theology. If you know what I'm talking about, it's called Seven Mountain Theology. It looks out within the world and it talks about finance and media and arts and stuff and that, that the, the Christian community is gonna go out and politics and economic, like we're gonna go out and do that. And I, um, the one hesitation I have about that theology is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts, it's kind of like his manifesto in the Beatitudes. Th these would be like the contrasting valleys, the eight valleys to the mountain peaks. Because you, know, wanna know, you wanna know where the blessing lies with Jesus? It lies on the poor, it lies on the brokenhearted, it lies on those who are literally in poverty. The blessing goes down, why? Because the descent is the story and love resides in the depths. This is the invitation we have, and actually we see this in, in Philippians 2, 5. L like, look there, take your eyes and actually look at this. Take this in. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is the invitation to the church, to become nothing for the good of the other. Uh, how's it going? <laughs> Like just, let's just, let's remove ourselves from this and be caught up in a thing like the we is greater than the me, the capital C church. It's actually growing quite well. If you look around the world, and by the way, if you want to see what the life of the church, um, get the magazine Voice of the Martyrs. I, you can just go online to their website. And what you will see is that the global church is flourishing. And why are they flourishing? Because they are legitimately being persecuted in their bodies. I'm not saying that like emotional distress that we experience here is any less real. It's just that we feel it less in our bodies. And Paul's invitation to this church, he's like, have this mindset. In other ways, in other words, go into the depths because love is deeper still. And so we pursue this emotional health. We, we, we enter into this stuff so that we might love. We might actually love and love. We might live in the love of God and then from that place move towards others with the love of God as well. And quite frankly, the question that comes to my mind in light of this is uh, how, how do we do this? Because Paul will be quite frank in other places in the New Testament. He will say, therefore, put on love. That's a command, put on love. So how do we do this? And this is, um, this is what I wanna commend to us for the remainder of our time is, is listening. And I don't come at this as a professional or someone who's even proficient in it. And if you know me or have been in a meeting, you're like, amen, there it is. Um, but this is a practice that I want to enter into because I think that this is not only an aspect of love, I think that this could 
be one of the most practical ways that we demonstrate love is listening. See, listening is an art. It's less of a science. It's not like I'm going to check these boxes, I do reflective questions, and at the end, you felt listened to. No, it's an art, and Jesus is the supreme artist. See, listening in the way of or in the manner of Jesus, it's what some will call incarnational listening. It's what I would invite us to think through today. Perhaps uh, embracing is incarnational listening. And you actually know what incarnational means, even if you didn't know that you knew what it means. Because you've possibly ordered tacos, carne asada, be my guess. Carne, flesh, in the flesh. This is the, the incarnation is the embodiment of God's very personal presence in Jesus of Nazareth. And so incarnational listening is, as cheesy as it might sound, to listen like Jesus does. And what I've begun to experience is that this type of listening can release love all over our lives, like with our families and our friends and our colleagues. And you know what? Even in the church. I know. That's, it's scandalous. Your responses, your silence tells me that you're like, oh my goodness, yes, it can. Amen. Bring it. Let it be. Um, you know, this, this type of listening, incarnational listening, it can be the cohesive reality that holds us together. Or in its absence, or at worst, its antithesis, which would be dismissal, it can be the very thing that pushes us into silos. It can be the very thing that says, I will not listen to you because you actually presume to know what the other person thinks and lives and is before they say that just because they made a post about who they voted for. It's the thing that walls us off or opens us up. And the, the Quaker, Douglas Van Steer, I think he was onto something when he said this. To, and, and the grammar here is awkward. So if you've not been listening yet, listen in. See what we did there? That was fun. To listen another's soul into a condition of disclosure. Let me just say that again. To listen another's soul into a condition of disclosure and discovery may be almost the greatest service that any human being ever performs for another. To listen another's soul. And he says into a, into a condition of disclosure and discovery. Have you ever like experienced that? Where someone receives you with compassion and courage and empathy and you feel like you're discovering something, you was there but you just didn't have the words for it? Think about this, like how do you feel when you feel heard? Like in a word, I feel well. Now, now think about how you feel when you are dismissed when you feel unheard. In a word, unwell. It's disorienting. And, and I, I'm like coming to find more and more confidence in this reality that as we listen to one another, like if you get two people who are genuinely listening to one another, that something more than conversation can take place. I, I really am starting to experience that like the, the living presence of God can be active in that. That is, we are seen and known and heard. This is incarnational listening. If you're a definition type of person or a note taker, this is for you. Incarnational listening is the art of becoming a listening presence. And maybe that language feels a bit oblique, kind of um, squishy to you. Let me unpack that. 
Incarnational listening is the art of becoming a listening presence. That is, it's a way of being. So think a manner of being with another person in which stillness and attentiveness create space for that person to speak authentically and to know, to know that they are being heard. So stillness and attentiveness, this is not language that I like. I didn't have a class on stillness in seminary. I didn't have like a, a teaching on what is it to attend to the stuff going on in another person's heart. These would things maybe you encounter in a Sunday school or in a therapy session. But I just think this is so central to the life of Jesus that the community of Jesus would do well to pick this up because even near the end of Jesus's life, we see this. And I just want to help paint this picture with you from the scriptures. In Mark chapter 10, we see this little story play out. It's Jesus. His life in the gospel, according to Mark, is set with fervor and conviction toward the cross. He is headed there, which means he's going to Jerusalem. In chapter 10, we see that this pilgrimage is going on to one of the high holy days. And what that means is that there would be three times a year that the people of Israel would collectively move toward the city of Jerusalem. And often people would pass through the city of Jericho and they would begin the ascent. If you've ever read through the Psalms of Ascent, these would be the, the corporate songs sung by the people as they're going up. And as Jesus and his disciples and the, the crowds are going with him through the city of Jericho, he begins to pass through the city gates and they're going up. And what they hear is this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I imagine it is without end. But what that voice who is crying out, this is blind Bartimaeus sitting on a robe. What he hears is essentially this, shut up leave him alone. And it's almost within the sequence of the story that Mark then says, Jesus stops. So when others reject the calling out to Jesus, Jesus interrupts them and stops. And then he turns and he invites this person to come. And I love this part of the story. It says that Bartimaeus throws off his cloak. Um, this may seem inconsequential to us, and so we'd read right past it. But for Bartimaeus, this would be all of his livelihood. You see, on these, in these little festivals, when they're going up to the city of Jerusalem, they would be especially religious in this moment, and there would be their peers around them. I imagine peer pressure was pretty strong at that moment. So they would be giving alms to the poor. Bartimaeus is the poor. All of his possessions are there on his cloak. And when Jesus invites him, he throws it off. And he runs to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't presume to know what Bartimaeus needs. Listen to the question that Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? That is a piercing question. What do you want me to do for you? See, this, this is the art of incarnational listening. It's the slowing down. It is the giving attention. It's, and it's this type of listening that I think actually begins to tell the story of God's love with those who are around us. See, I, what, I, what I find so captivating about Jesus here is that he doesn't make an object of this man. He, he doesn't say that he's a project to be completed. He doesn't say that he's a problem to be solved. No, this man, instead of being an object, he is the subject of Jesus's time and attentiveness. He gives these things to him when he is on his way up. 
He stops to receive and he asks this soul piercing question. And in doing so, when he asks, what do you want me to do for you? He opens himself up to this person. That's, that's what asking those types of questions do. They, like Jesus is exposed in that question. Now Jesus has the prerogative to respond, but what he does is he opens himself up to it. And why, why is it, why is it that this scene can chafe against our souls? This is a scene of interruption. Jesus is on his way up and he's interrupted. So let me just ask you, why does interruption annoy you the way that it does? Well, um, apparently that was rhetorical. You don't have to answer. I guess that would be a little embarrassing maybe. So Rich Velotis, who's a pastor of a church in Queens, he gives us a couple of things that I really resonated with, uh, namely reactivity and defensiveness. So interruption chafes against our souls because we are reactive and defensive. And now I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint with some broad brushstrokes here, but I think that this gets the point across uh, fairly potent, like um, of why we have a hard time hearing some things. Consider with me the theologically accurate phrase, black lives matter. Why is it so hard to hear this as a theologically accurate phrase that says these people matter. Reactivity and defensiveness. If you're like me, I presume to know all of the position points of an organization that is bound up under that title. So I, am, I, am I like missing this? I thought this was a great little sermon illustration. I mean, like, Zach, how are we doing here? Like, there is another way, because in that moment, like even when I say that words, I, I wonder if everything I've said leading up to this, you're like, nope, I'm not gonna have it. It like pits us against one another, but there is another way. It is the way of Jesus. And again, Velotus for the win here, he describes this alternative way of incarnational listening in three movements. It is where we leave our world, we enter another's world, and then in that place, we allow that person to form us. And so just a brief word on each, and we're almost to a close here. So when we leave our world, what we're doing is we're actually relinquishing the comfort and the control of the familiar. When we leave our world, there is risk. So if you've ever stepped into a new church community or you have moved far away from your previous home, you're, you're literally leaving and you've, you know that risk. But this also happens interpersonally. And it doesn't just happen in places of conflict. It can happen as a woman has a conversation with a man. She has to leave her world, especially if it's in the marketplace, to have a conversation. There's power dynamics in place. But we don't just stop there. As followers of Jesus, we get the invitation is to leave our world and then enter another's world with humility and curiosity in hand. Because remember, the whole point of this emotional health stuff is so that we would be holistically healed, that we could go to that place of love and then move out of love with love. So we do that. We do the descent. We enter another's world with humility and then curiosity, genuine intrigue about what another person's story is. If this is helpful, consider at this point the ABCs of communication. We've, we've gone through this before, but just a refresher. Um, a, assume the best. 
That's always a good one. Assume the best. B, give them the benefit of the doubt. And C, consider their story. And, and I think that when we start to do that, when we enter another's world with humility and curiosity, then we can actually be the type of people for whom the natural posture of our lives is that we could be formed by another without losing ourselves. So we allow ourselves to be formed by another without losing ourselves. So we can take in what they have to say. And because we stand in confidence in Jesus' love, even if they, like, we disagree with them, we could say, that's interesting. I haven't thought about it that way. How did you come to that conclusion? Hmm, who do you read? Who do you listen to? That's hard for me to hear. Those are all beautiful responses that sees the person and I think then invites us like even deeper into love. By the way, this is called practical Christianity. <laughs> this is like where our theology gets embodied. Because you know what I think is really easy is that we give a definition of love, like to give away our preferences for the good of the other. And then we tweet that or we post it up on our fridge or we think about it for a week and then we never do it. But this space, for me especially, this was so convicting because if I'm honest, like, I think that this preaches pretty well. I think that you could take this into most contexts and people would go, yeah, leave the world, enter another's, allow them to, yes, amen, amen. And then we would do nothing with it because it is super hard. You see, I just, I want us to think for a moment again about how we feel when we're heard. What, what does that do for your well-being? And consider again how you feel when you're dismissed. What does that do to your well-being? Now just imagine being on the other side of you. Have you ever thought about this? What's it like to be on the other side of you? What I'm learning is that um, being on the other side of me means um, you're going to get a lot of words. <laughs> and often it's in insecurity. Often it's, often it's in just a desire to be seen as more than I am. And sometimes it's just because I'm really excited about something. And in all of that, I, what I've learned is, is that the goal of incarnational listening is presence. It's present to God. Okay, God what do you, what would, might you do through me in this moment? You actually realize that you have the spirit of the living God in you if you're with Jesus, and that means that your life can be activated with, for the good of another? I mean, come on. If following Jesus isn't worth just that, let alone the freedom and the liberation and like being able to put our shame at the foot of the cross, like that, to, to be a person of healing and a person of peace, See, this goal of presence, not just present to God, it's present to one another. And this is our invitation. And I, like, whether you call the Gateway Church home or not, I mean, we're still some here 2,000 years later talking about this Jewish rabbi who stopped what he was doing to ask questions like, what do you want me to do for you? If you want to think like, like let's go, let's throw it back to a bracelet. What would Jesus do? He would stop. And he would give his time and attention so that another might actually be heard and seen. 
I think, I think that once we begin to think about listening as a gift to be given and a thing to be received, we might just find how light this life is with Jesus. We might begin to experience what it is for him to say that there's like the burdens you can place those down because my way is easy. And so I want us to like practically step into this. And yet what I know is that if I'm struggling with this, that it's my guess that a couple of you may. So, um, in all sincerity, this is a way, not the way, but these are some questions that help me when I feel that reactivity or I feel that defensiveness or I just, I don't feel like I actually want to listen to this person. Maybe it's a family member who you feud with. Uh, allow these questions to be a place of help and then we're gonna turn to the bread and the cup to remember this Jesus and we're gonna continue to, to worship through song. So I'd just invite those who are leading us in worship through song to, to come on up as we kind of, put these questions forward. So when you feel that tension, when you're saying, yes, I'm situated in love and I don't want to love, maybe just ask what happened? Like, like replay the scenario, what actually happened? And then ask, what am I feeling? If, if that's a hard question for you to, to answer, I, I would go back a couple of weeks. We looked at Pluchek's Wheel of Emotions. Like if you don't know how to name your feelings, um, there's like tools for that. You can just go on the internet and find these things. So what am I feeling? And then what story am I telling myself in light of what I'm feeling? And then this is huge. Uh, what does the gospel say? What's actually true of me? And lastly, what is my alternative move? What's the third way? And I think, I think that as we start to take this stuff into ourselves, as we start to live out of it, then we can be the type of community that actually stops and gives attention. And, and we can, when somebody is making the descent and they are in the midst of it, perhaps they are like dealing with the brokenness of their past or they're grieving or their family is in shambles. We can be the people who have the space to receive them. We don't have to fix them. We can just be present to them. I don't know about you, but that's the type of people I wanna be with. That's the type of community that I see Jesus through the power of his spirit building here. And so let us, let us, I just want to invite you to stand. I, I want to I read this psalm over you. This is Peter reflecting on a psalm, Psalm 34. And, and he says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. You see, as you take the bread and the cup and you remember that Jesus' body was broken for those who call him their own. And as his blood was poured out, the, the like a new covenant forgiveness is there. I also want you to hear that his eyes are on you, his ears are attentive to your prayers. So it's not just that Je Jesus is never asking you to do a thing that he himself is not willing to do or has already done himself. So may you, with all that's going on, be received by the loving kindness of the Father. And as you worship, as you proclaim the worth of Jesus, would you know, would you know in your inner woman or your inner man that because you stand in love that you can move towards others with it, even if it's just a small step. So church, let us continue to worship.